Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were in hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the, pro in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have been, con you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. And when he was departed thence, he went into the synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then saith he to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And his name shall the and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Let's pray. Lord, again, as we turn to your word, we just ask that you would uh, just help us to understand it, help us to know you better through this time, Lord. And I just pray your blessing on it. Help me as I present this to be clear um, that the things I say would be true and right and honoring to you. I pray this in Christ's name. passage if you were here last week you'd recognize the first part of it is the same as what I read out of Mark chapter 2 last week and I decided to, to reread that portion because um, it sets the stage for the part that carries on from there and he continues with this thing on the, the Sabbath day and what you're allowed or not allowed to do last week I focused on the specifics of the Sabbath day and whether or not 
those rules apply to us right now. Um, but today I want to just focus on really the events taking place and how Jesus deals with it. I'm going to look back at some of the references that Jesus makes and just kind of have a look at some of those things and see how Jesus dealt with this whole situation. And so what we have is this accusation against Jesus and his disciples as they're walking through the, the field and they're picking the heads of the grain and just getting a bite to eat. And I didn't write down where this was, but in the law, in the Old Testament, there's actually a provision that says that you are allowed to do that. Not specifically on the Sabbath day, but you are allowed to walk through somebody else's field and pick the grain or could be a vineyard. You're allowed to pick the grapes and eat those things as you need it at that time. But the rule was that you're not allowed to go in with a sickle and actually start harvesting somebody else's field. But it was allowable to walk through a field and to pick the grain and to eat as you needed if you were hungry at that time. And I thought that was an interesting piece of information that that was an allowable thing. We'd get pretty upset sometimes if somebody goes into our garden as they're walking by our house and starts picking the food out of our garden, right? But this was an allowable thing at that time. And so this is what they're doing, but the fact that it's on the Sabbath day is what's being drawn into question here, not, not the act of, of eating somebody else's garden. And so Jesus answered what I would think is a strange answer. He says, have you not read what David did? And so I just want to look back at what David did. And if you want to turn with me, I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we see the story of when this took place. And the lead up to this story is between David and King Saul. And David has been anointed by Samuel to become the next king. But Saul is still alive and Saul is still the king. And so he knows, he sees God's hand on David. He knows God's blessing, God's anointing is on David. And he sees the people praising David as a leader in the army and with his wisdom and all the things that he does. Everything that David did was not only pleasing to God, but pleasing to the people. And so Saul would get jealous and at times would his anger would build up and he would try to kill David. And we have this relationship between Jonathan, which is Saul's son, and David, and they're as close as brothers, they're best friends. And they're having this conversation that David is certain that Saul is about to try to kill him. And Jonathan says, my dad doesn't do anything without telling me. It's not, that's not going to happen. He's not trying, he's not plotting to kill you. And so they make this arrangement and there's a feast and David is supposed to be at that feast at the table with the king. And 
he doesn't show up. And so nothing happens the first day, but this is multiple day feast. And so the second day, Saul questions why David isn't there. And so Jonathan tells the story that, you know, David had this thing and he couldn't be here. He had to go to his family. And so they were testing what Saul's reaction was going to be. And Saul got so angry, he actually threw a, a spear at Jonathan. And so that pretty much answered the question as to what Saul's intent toward David was. Um, and it's kind of a funny story because David and, and Jonathan had made this arrangement that David is hiding out in this field. And depending on Saul's reaction, um, they had this arrangement and Jonathan was going to go out into the field and he was going to shoot his bow and he had a servant boy with him and he's going to shoot and as he gives instruction to the kid to where to find the arrow would tell David whether he should run and hide or if it was safe to come. Well, they go through all the motions and after it's all over, Jonathan sends the kid away and him and, jo him and David get together and actually have a conversation together. They didn't, they didn't use this scenario that they had actually planned because they just couldn't stand to part without actually speaking to each other. And so this is the setup for what the situation is. And then in chapter 21, I'll start reading here. It says, Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, and what there is president. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. And so the priest gave him hallowed bread, and there was no, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord, and to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. And so here's this, the situation, and David is there, and he's gone. It's kind of funny. He says, Why is there nobody with you? And yet there are. A certain number of people with David. Um, so obviously just not the normal people or the normal number of people if he was off to a battle or something like that. But he has a few men with him and the only bread available at the tabernacle or where we are here <clears throat> is the whole, holy the show bread that is put before the Lord and the only people that the law allows to eat that is the priests. And David makes this, the, the priest kind of offers this to David, saying it's all we have, 
and he makes this provision if, well, if the men have been kept away from the women, I guess it's, maybe it'll be okay if you eat the, the, this showbread. And David makes this comparison and says in a way that the men are holy and in another way the, the bread is common. <laughs> and so they make this arrangement and he takes the bread to eat it. And this is the story that Jesus uses to refute what the Pharisees are saying about him and the disciples breaking the Sabbath. And that's, to me, that's an interesting, why would you use this? All right, I just want to look at Leviticus chapter 24, just to show what the Bible says about the showbread before we carry on here. Leviticus 24 verse 5 says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place. For it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire for a perpetual statute. And so this is where we have the instruction given about the holy, or the showbread, and how much flour goes into it, and how it's prepared, and how it's presented, and who is allowed to eat it. And only Aaron and his sons, the priests, are the only ones that are actually allowed to eat this bread. And it's holy. But I see where David's argument, as he was talking with Ahimelech, the priest, he says, in a way, it's common. And I see it here that the flower is one of the offerings of the people when they come to the temple to make offerings to the Lord. And so this came from the people and was given as an offering. And so it, in a way, it's common from where it originated from. And now it's been sanctified in its purpose. And I guess David makes the comparison that him and the people that are with are on a mission for the Lord and in a sense are holy. And so he puts this together, but that doesn't fulfill what the law actually said. And so I wonder if I was to ask, I can't hear your answers, unfortunately, but is David sinning when he did this? Is this situation a justification of breaking the law. And I would say that technically, yes, David is sinning by taking this showbread. He has broken the law that was given. And yet, nowhere in the Bible does it actually address this and make this statement that, yes, he broke the law, he was wrong, this shouldn't have been done. And Jesus actually doesn't even do that either. He just uses that as one of his examples of 
here's something that everybody knows. Everybody reads this story. And he says to the Pharisees, haven't you read about David and how he's done this thing? They don't condemn David for this in their minds, which was a blatant, obvious breaking of the law. And yet this thing that Jesus and his disciples are doing isn't actually breaking any rule that's written about the law, but they're making a big deal out of it. And I think that's probably where Jesus is coming from, is just the way they treat what's going on. They excuse one thing, but make a big deal of another thing. And biblically, scripturally, the thing that they excuse was actually breaking the law, but the thing that they make a big deal out of isn't even in the law. It's something that they made up on their own afterwards. And they take that more seriously than they do the actual law. The next thing in Matthew 12, and Jesus just adds this right on top of this thing with David. He says, Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And so you can look back at Numbers chapter 8 to sort of see where where Jesus is coming from on this one. Numbers chapter 8, if you're following. And verse 9 and 10 says, And thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together, and thou shalt bring the Levites before the Lord. I'm in the wrong spot. Apologize for that. I don't know where my reference is supposed to be. Somewhere in this area, but... So I'll just have to explain what I was trying to find here. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, in that law, as he's giving instruction to the Levites, to the priests, part of what they were instructed to do and is on the Sabbath day, there was actually an additional offering. Two additional lambs were to be sacrificed on that day. And you see... It was a contradiction to the law where no servile work was to be done. And yet, on that day, the law actually required that the Levites perform this sacrifice. And they had to do a fair bit of work. And the showbread was a part of that because it was on the Sabbath day that they prepared that showbread. And if anybody here makes bread, I know some of you do, it's work. <laughs> Making bread is work, and actually make, preparing food like that um, is one of the things that they wouldn't have allowed to take place on the Sabbath day. And so the priests are preparing the showbread, and they're baking the bread, which means that they have to kindle a fire. They're performing a sacrifice, which requires fire. They have to kindle a fire for the sacrifice. They're killing 
this sacrifice. There, if anybody's ever butchered an animal, there's a fair bit of work involved there between the killing, the skinning, cleaning, separating all the pieces. This was work to be done. All of this is breaking the rules of the Sabbath. But it was instructions that were given directly to the priests. And so, again, my question is, did the priests break the Sabbath law? And well, technically, yes. But it was instructed by God to do that. And what I see is that, and I think Jesus is pointing this out, is that that Sabbath law has exceptions. <laughs> There's, it's not a hard, fast rule in all areas. And so we have this exception because even though the priests are breaking the Sabbath, it says they're guiltless because they're also commanded by God to do that. And then in the following verse, Jesus says, But I say unto you, verse 6 in Matthew 12, I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. And in verse 8, he says, For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He's proclaiming to them that he is in a position above what the priests were and the temple that sanctified the work that the priests were doing on the Sabbath day that technically would break the Sabbath law but was excusable because it was commanded for by God in the service for God. And he says, I, you know, he, he doesn't point directly at himself, but he's making the implication, there's one here greater than the temple. What happens in Jesus' life is more important than what was taking place in the sacrifices in the temple. And then he makes the second statement, for the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. And he makes that connection that the priests were allowed to do this work on the Sabbath day because they're fulfilling the duties of the temple. He also is allowed to do what he wants to do, what he needs to do to serve his purpose because he's also greater than the temple, but also the Lord of the Sabbath. He is justified in the things that he does. And if we go on to this next section in Matthew 12, it says, And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And so they've caught him outside somewhere, and they're on their way to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, of course. And so now they go into the synagogue. And in verse 10 he says, And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? That they might accuse him. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? 
Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Try to picture in your mind the situation. We've actually, we've already had this discussion as they've walked, you know, if, if we're in the setting here, they've walked across the, the grain fields across from us on the way to the temple and the Pharisees are accusing them of breaking the Sabbath there. And they have this conversation and Jesus kind of throws them off and they don't know what, how to answer these things that Jesus is saying. And so now they enter into the, the church, the synagogue. And they have this lame man there. And they bring him before Jesus. Can you imagine walking into a church and you have this person in the church that all the, you know, if it's a big church, we've got these pastors that lead the church. And there's this guy that keeps coming in and talking and stirring up the people and we can't stand the guy. And so we create this scenario, this setup, where we have this lame guy and we're going to trick him into healing and breaking the Sabbath right in front of everybody. I can't imagine setting this up in front of the whole congregation and seeing what takes place here. And so right in front of everybody, the, the leaders make this, ask this question. They grab this guy, stick him in front of Jesus. Here's this withered hand. And say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? And they're going to trap him in this one, right? And so his answer is, who among you, and this wouldn't work so well for most of us, but who among you that has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day wouldn't reach down and grab him? Well, most of us don't raise sheep, and so we don't have this issue, but raising sheep was an important part of their lives because they sacrificed these sheep. This was a major part of their, their food and their uh, religious ceremonial acts required these sheep to be raised. And so everybody had sheep. They knew what this was about. And they knew what Jesus is saying is absolutely true. And sheep are not the most agile creature in the world. They're not the most intelligent creature in the world. And they tend to get into trouble on a regular basis. And so even on the Sabbath day, you go and you check on your sheep. And when one of them's in trouble somewhere, you can't leave it till the next day. If a sheep is laying on its back for too long, um, they can get sick and die in a short amount of time. And so they need to take care of this animal. It's stuck down in this pit. They are going to reach in and pull it out. They're doing work on the Sabbath day is what Jesus is pointing out. He doesn't wait for them to answer. He just knows that they all know that this is a true statement that he's making. And then he adds to this. He says, How much then is a man better than a sheep? God created man in his own image. And yet, you're going to accuse me for healing, for taking care of, for doing good to this man who's created in God's own image. And yet, you would do this for a sheep and have no issue with it. That's the accusation that Jesus is making towards them now. And he says, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And immediately, he just 
turns to the man with the withered hand. He says, stretch forth a hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like the other. Jesus doesn't worry about the accusation that they're going to make against him. He's already made his case. He said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. Jesus is using this thing with the sheep and um, these men would all know Proverbs chapter 12 verse 10 says a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. That's a scriptural thing to take care of your animals that you're in charge of caring for. You treat them well. You make sure that they're healthy and cared for and well fed and watered. That's a scriptural thing to do. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If we don't do the good things that we know to do, it is sin to not do it. So for Jesus to not heal this man on this day would actually be more wrong than doing the healing on the Sabbath day. Because he's capable, he's in a situation where he can do the good to this man, and that is the right thing to do. And so Jesus performs the miracle. I remember the setting. We're in the, we're in the synagogue. We're probably right up front with all the leaders of the synagogue, the teachers of the scriptures, the rulers over the people, and we have the multitude of people that are gathered there on that day and Jesus has this conversation in front of all these people. And then he tells the man, reach forth your hand. And he heals him instantly in front of everybody. He makes a public scene of this healing as the Pharisees are trying to make an accusation against him. He just wipes the whole thing out right in front of them. But that next verse says, Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him how they might destroy him. Think of the contradiction, what's going on in these men's minds. We have this conversation in the synagogue regarding is it right to do good on the Sabbath day? And Jesus does something good, healing a man. Does it work for Jesus to heal a man? <laughs> he says, reach forth your hand, and it was healed. It's not like he wasn't doing surgery and, you know, doing all these things and making a, a poultice and pounding up the herbs and trying, you know, he didn't make a, it wasn't work. He just said, reach forth your hand, and it was healed. But they make a big deal out of it. And so, he does this on the Sabbath day, and they're furious. They're so mad, probably because they were made fools of in front of everybody. But they go out and they hold a council of how they might destroy him. And so Jesus does good on the Sabbath day by healing somebody. But these men conspire together of how they can kill this man who made a fool of them in front of the crowd. And so on the Sabbath day, they're plotting a murder. 
but they don't see a problem with that in their own minds. Our, uh, our Bible study that we've been doing is in 2 Timothy, and in chapter 3, I'm just going to read this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Read the first few verses here. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And verse 5 says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And he gives an instruction, says, from such, turn away. And we had a bit of a conversation about whether or not this is talking about the church or the world in general. But verse 5, to me, points to the church. That we're talking about people who claim to be Christians are these things. This is what the religious community looks like. And I would say that that's the Pharisees of our day that this list is describing. That they're lovers of their own selves, they're covetous, they're blasphemers, they're disobedient, unthankful, just selfish, selfish, self-centered people. Trying to think what the verse was. There's a verse that talks about, um, okay, it's Isaiah chapter 5. Better to read it than to misquote it. A section here um, to get to the whole picture which ties in very much with what we're, we're saying here about the Pharisees and, and what people look like today in the church in some aspects in any case. So I start in verse 11 says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink that continue until night till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial and the tabret and the pipe and the wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, 
and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity, and sin as it were with a cart rope. They say, let him make speed and hasten his work, that we may see it. Just to get the picture in your mind, this is people just dragging their sin around proudly, displaying their sin for everyone to see, and they're like goading God, saying, let him make speed and hasten his work. You know, all these things that God has promised that he's going to do, let's see it. They're like taunting God to do what he says he is going to do. And that's kind of how I see some in the church act like that as well. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and to take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people and he has stretched forth his hand against them and has smitten them. And the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. These people are provoking God with their sin and just blatant disregard for God and his law. Verse 20 is where I was really pointing to. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil. And that's the condition of our world today is things that the Bible is absolutely clear on as being wrong, as being sin, our world is promoting and churches are going along with the world and allowing these things to take over in the church. This is a problem. They're calling evil good and the things that the Bible says we're supposed to stand against, the things that the Bible say are good, the things that we as Christians are supposed to stand for are being called evil. And we're being accused of evil for serving God, for obeying God. 
And that's exactly what was happening in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel as they disregarded God and his law. And it's what's happening to our world today as not just the world, but the church also disregards God's law as God and God's guidance of what we should be living like, how we should live to honor him. And this is what I see in Matthew 12 with these Pharisees. They can't even differentiate between the good that Jesus is doing and they, they, don't, they see that as evil. And their own evil in plotting to kill him, they think is good and they're honoring, they think they're honoring God. They claim to be honoring God in doing those things. It's just pure backwards, pure opposite of scripture, the opposite of godliness. And people justify these kinds of behaviors. As we go down near the end here, Jesus, it's not even Jesus speaking, it's just, this is the narrative that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy given in Isaiah 42, and he describes that prophecy here a little bit. But I just want to look at the, the way that it ends. Verse 21 says, And in his name, shall the Gentiles trust. As the blessing that it is for us, that we can stand here today because of Jesus, who came for the Jews. The prophecies were for the Jews. But they, he included us. And so in this passage, we see the church being hinted at at least and in his name shall the Gentiles trust and we'll close with that this morning let's pray Lord I'm just so thankful that we can put our trust in you that Christ sacrificed himself he paid the debt that we owe for our sins Lord that we can just simply put our faith in him for our salvation, for eternity with you in heaven, Lord. And so we just thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for including us in your love, Lord. And so help us to understand your word, Lord. Help us to understand Jesus' ministry on this earth and the way that he dealt with people. Help us to be able to have his character in the way that we deal with others as well, Lord. Pray for your guidance and help in all these things. In Christ's name, amen.